Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Parenting with Impact. We are really psyched today to welcome one of the world's great executive function gurus, Seth Perler, who's here with us today. He is well known as an executive function coach, an educator, a vlogger, a guy who cares about seeing outside-the-box kids succeed. He puts amazing stuff out in the universe and helps kids and their families when kids are struggling, neurodiverse learners, trying to help them get a handle on, you know, functionally making sense of having a complex brain in this complex world. Um, He works with parents, he works with teachers, he works with kids, and um, really makes a difference in the world. So it's great to have him here having this conversation with us. Seth, welcome. Hi, Elaine. Hi, Diane. Glad you're here. Can, why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about what you do with families of complex kids and how you ended up doing this work in the first place? Sure. Well, I'll start off by telling you how I ended up doing this work. I was that kid. So as, as a child, I struggled. <laughs> and really, it, it started, I, I still have my progress reports from when I was a child and my mom kept them all these years. But starting in first grade, was when I started getting comments like does not pay attention, lazy, unmotivated. If he would have just apply himself, he's so bright, yeah. not reaching up to his potential. right? And it just kept going on. And, you know, eventually I got to the t- age when I couldn't fake it anymore and grades started tanking. And, and then I started getting D's and F's. And then I went to college on probation because my grades were so low, but my test scores were high. And then I failed out of college. Then I went to another college because I didn't want to live with my parents. I dropped out of that college before failing out. And I was just kind of, you know, really struggling on all sorts of levels. I got fired from numerous jobs. I just, I couldn't do this thing called executive function, executing, getting important things done that were important for my life. So my life was really out of control and... I was really struggling in multiple levels. And then I started turning my life around at some point. And I eventually got a job working with kids as a fluke. You used to have to find jobs in these things called newspapers that aren't really used for jobs anymore. And we use pens to circle, right? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in Indianapolis at the time and there was a you know, a newspaper ad for a place. And um, I got the job and started working there and just fell in love with working with kids. And that just changed the whole trajectory of my entire life. I became a teacher. And then as a teacher, I was a teacher for 12 years. I got a master's in gifted and talented education, but I just like complicated human beings. And I like kids that struggle. The, the kids that where I really saw 
you know, I could really sense what they were going through because I, I had gone through so much of it. I couldn't articulate a lot of what was going on because it wasn't conscious. And obviously, when you're becoming a teacher, they're not really teaching you a, a lot. In fact, a lot of teachers, even nowadays, have never heard of executive function. But I knew that I liked working with complicated kids that struggled. That's what I knew. And so I um, taught for 12 years, ended up leaving teaching. And I was very frustrated with feeling like I was being held back from being able to, to really serve in the capacity that I wanted to serve during this blip of a lifetime. And I really wanted to focus on these kids. So that, that's how I got into what I'm doing now is I started in about 2010, um, just really trying to understand how can we serve these families that these kids are struggling. They're bright kids, yet they yeah. feel like and appear like failures given the lens that we tend to look at, at them through. And that right. is not who they are. How do we help them, you know, find how awesome they are and, and build a great life? So I want to go back when I ask, because you said I started to turn my life around and then I got this job. So mm -hmm. I'm curious because we work with also a lot of parents of young adults now. And I'm curious, what age were you? And do you have a sense of what precipitated starting to get your life in order before you got that job that found a purpose for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was 22. Okay. And I think that what's really hard, I think, for parents is that Nobody could really help me until this sounds so cliche, but until Please. I could help myself. And, and the thing that got me to really turn my life around was buy-in and ownership. So it wasn't my parents. It wasn't for my teachers. It wasn't for my relatives. It wasn't for my friends. It wasn't for anybody but me. So what parents want to know is how do we help our child? Get buy-in um, and ownership. Yeah. And that's, it. and that's what we talk about all the time. And then what happens is, is we end up trying things that don't work. And that includes lectures, right. logic, directing, reason, suggestions, right. directing, punishments, rewards, shame, pleas, meaning P-L-E-A-S, like a plea for, come on, yeah, you can't, you know, fear, nagging, bugging, fear. Yeah. Yep. All yep. these things that we hope will interventions that are where there's no buy-in and no ownership. So we try all these things and I'm not saying don't try never, ever, ever, ever give up on a kid ever, but there has to be buy-in and ownership. And, and when we do want to be helpful, we have to really look at how can we be helpful in such a way where it's, it's their idea, where they have the buy-in, they have the ownership, they, where we're not just pushing, 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 because we see so much of that. And what it does is it pushes them away. It does the right. opposite of what we want. And this is no joke. You know, when a kid is a young adult and they're struggling with this stuff, the consequences can be horrific. So let's unpack that a little bit, Seth. I mean, buy-in and ownership and, and parents are hungry. Tell us the magic formula. So what are some of the tools or strategies or whatever it is that can help parents in that adventure? What were you going to ask? Well, and I want to just piggyback on it a little bit, Diane, at whatever age. At whatever so age. We're really not talking about just young adults here because what you're really talking about is fostering a sense of self-control is helping kids who feel out of control begin to see the capacity agency. to control themselves, agency. to have that yeah. agency. So in that lens, I love the question. 
Yeah. I mean, well, there is no magic bullet. There is no quick fix. (laughs) So that's the the first thing is the parents are looking for that answer and there is no answer. And probably the number one, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the number one most important thing, but probably the number one most important thing that parents don't do that they, I hate to use the word should, should, but that they should do is get their own therapist. Get your own counselor, get your own psychiatrist, your own psychologist, get your own coach, get your own, you know, self-development group, your own couples therapy, your own, you know, people who are going to call you on your stuff, do your own deep inner work, your own reading, your own journaling, your own meditation, your own prayer, your own, whatever those things are that help you, your own self-care, like how's your sleep, how's your career, how's your joy in life, how's your, you know, all of those things, are you living your mission, all these things you want for your child, are you modeling that for real, for real, real. right, check yourself, and if the answer is no, or not as much as I'd like to focus there, so that's not, that's such an indirect answer, it's so not what people are looking for, but to me, I I mean, I think, my parents, one of the best things that they ever did for me is get to the point where they're like, we can't do anything for you. And we're going to do what we need to do for ourselves. That was one of the best things ever. You know, It's like a counterintuitive truth, right? And you know what we often say at Impact Parents is if you don't know what to do, there are two places to focus. Focus on your own self-care and lean into your relationship with your kid, right? That's it in a nutshell. And so the counterintuitive truth is that when I take care of myself, I'm actually doing something to help my kid. 100%. And then what you say, you know, every time I finish a presentation, I say that the number one thing is the relationship. And whether that's with teachers or the parent, the number one, so you're, I would agree with you 100%. The, the other thing is your relationship with your kid. And of course, you're going to have a lot of parents saying, well, I do focus on the relationship. With the kid. We're <laughs> not talking about anxious attachment here, which is, something you can, which is, which is maladaptive and dysfunctional and we, which, you know, we, we all have our stuff that that is, there's no question about that. But so this is not to be shaming, but when people are like, but I am focused on the relationship. That's not what we mean. What, what it really means is, really working on how can both people, the the child and the parent or the parents together or whatever, how can each person feel, notice I would use the word feel, feel seen and Mm -hmm. heard and felt and understood and known. Does your child walk away from a conversation with you saying, wow, I don't agree with my parent, but I feel like they heard me. I feel heard. I feel seen. Or are they walking away going, you're not listening. And you're going, I am listening, blah, blah, blah. That's not the response when somebody (laughs) says I'm not listening. (laughs) But I am listening. I am listening, but it's usually the. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, oh, okay. Tell me more. So uh, I think, you know, a lot of this relationship stuff is, is relearning um, patterns and habits that we don't even think about. We're not conscious of. So relearning, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of attachment theory and I'm a big fan of polyvagal theory, mm-hmm. but relearning how to communicate, how to notice your child's nervous system, their shoulders, their body, their respiration, their posture, their neck position, their eyes, how to notice what their body is telling you. The words in the story are important but oftentimes we're missing out on this story beyond the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's really going on there? The percentage of kids that are super stressed out right now is just extraordinary. And if a parent 
sees a kid who's misbehaving as a misbehaving kid and not as a stressed out kid, you're going to handle it completely differently. Yeah. Well, and what I'm, what I'm hearing from you and, you know, again, that's why we love, we're so glad you're here. We love to have you in our midst is because our messages are so in alignment with each other is how important it is to really be conscious and mindful of how we're communicating with our kids. And if I, what is it? 90% of communication is nonverbal right? What you're speaking to is pay attention to what they're saying that that's not coming up in words. But, you know, if their head is in a screen all the time, if they're going behind a door and shutting it all the time, they're communicating volumes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when people come to me, they come usually because of grades, executive function, you know, their, their kids are failing or risk of failing. Mm -hmm. And they're not quote doing what they're supposed to be doing, but it ends up it's while it's about executive function, it's really about the relationship, emotional regulation, the nervous system, communication, seeing them understanding, as Diane said, that the stress that they're experiencing, you know, what pressure are, are these kids under? It's, it's tremendous. It is. It's daunting. Yeah. So what is it that you want parents of complex kids to understand better about their kids? What is it that they're missing? Well, I guess the first thing would be that the relationship's the most important thing. The second thing would be that executive function is a quality of life issue. It isn't just for the grades or the test scores or what's going on now. This is for their entire life. We have to be able to execute in order to achieve our goals. And then the next thing would be probably that uh, what I... What we want with their life and career, and so what all parents want is the same thing, because I've heard this from hundreds or thousands. All parents, right? I just want my kid to be happy and successful is what, I, what I've heard yeah. more than anything. We hear the same thing. Yep. That's, that sentence, some iteration of that sentence is the number one thing I've ever heard. And so really, and everybody defines it a little bit differently, but really getting clear on what does that mean? What is right. happiness and success? It, and it's success performance or is success self-agency, right? And is it your definition or is it their definition? Their definition. Right? Yeah. But we, we can usually agree on certain things with success. It is relationships. It's yeah. successful relationships where we feel heard. Yeah. It's good friendships. It's having a career you let you enjoy, you know, it doesn't have to be your passion or the perfect thing, but you know, Having, you know, if they have a family, having a family that's stable and happy and where they can work through problems, you know, and then also we are what's happening in this world as far as one's ability to be financially successful. And what I mean by successful is just be able to live a good life. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is the cards are really stacked against these kids with executive function struggles. Yeah. I mean, if they can't execute on some pretty basic things, how are they going to be able to pay bills and keep an apartment? And, and this is really, I definitely am very worried <laughs> about a lot of kids that are growing up right now. And what are the opportunities going to be like for them? So we really need to help everybody, you know, be able to execute and, and support themselves. But I think when we look at like, what parents want, what is happy, healthy, and successful, and are the things that we're doing really contributing to that? So here's what comes up is going back just a little bit, you were saying, you know, you're worried about these kids and and probably somebody in our shoes would have said the same thing 10 years ago and 10 years before that and 10 years before that. We just didn't have those kids as well identified. 
And yet at the same time, what I sometimes see is parents of, you know, a 12 year old catastrophizing that, you know, 10 years from now, they're never going to be able to. And so part of what actually prevents them from preparing their kids is that they're so worried about what's going to happen 10 years from now that they're not meeting their kids where they are now. Does that resonate for you? Yeah. Well, catastrophizing is the nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. So they're using words to tell a story or a narrative that uh, about a fear, but the nervous system is saying to the child, I don't feel safe right now. I'm your parent and I feel dysregulated right now. And I'm going to express that to you with this story. And so parents really, you know, the more we learn about these sorts of things in our own narratives and our own stories and how they're landing, Mm-hmm. with our kids, the better we'll be able to communicate the things that we're trying to communicate in a more powerful way. But it also brings up a story about when I was, I was in a, it was a 504 or an IEP meeting for a kid one time. And we were talking about how the, I forget what grade this was in, but they were, I think it was a fifth grader and they were requiring the kid to use a three ring binder. Now this kid did not have the executive function to use the three ring binder. <laughs> I've so and been there. Yeah. And I'm like, so can we change this? Why are we doing this? And like, well, we're doing it to prepare them for middle school. And I'm, I stopped and I'm like, well, why are you doing it to prepare them for middle school? And they're like, so that they can be prepared for high school. And I'm just like going, do you hear what you're saying? Like they can learn how to use it. First of all, why do we think they need to use a three ring binder? I and mean, this was just a person who had a belief that this was an important life skill, but <laughs> Like I had a school that had the entire grade. Well, that's they not had uncommon. to use a three three ring binder. That's it, not uncommon. It was a disaster yeah. for one of my kids. Well, that's what it does. Is it? It's like what? What are we? And when when teachers do binder checks and give grades based on this stuff, like <laughs> yes. it's, it's like what's the content? Is it science? Is it <laughs> language arts? Why are we giving a grade on a binder check? Like, what the hell is going on here? Like. And, I mean, these teachers are well-intended, and, and but definitely misguided. <laughs> well, I, we could go in the rabbit hole, but they're they're evaluating executive function. And that's, that's at the same right. time, that's they're right. not, but not supporting it. it and not teaching that's it right. and not, you know, that sort of thing. It's just, and that's do you why have I it, do you not, you're, you know, grading. If a teacher says you need to use a three-ring binder and they compassionately and empathetically and patiently guide the kid to be able to use that throughout the semester, I don't have a problem with that. Great. Cool. But if they're going to then grade, essentially what you said, grade executive function, that is not cool. (laughs) So let's talk a little bit about teaching executive function, because that's that's what you do. That's what you're known for. That's what all of the parents in our world, in our community of complex kids, they want our kids to have these skills. They don't know how. What are some of the foundations that help begin to shift to teach executive function skills? Because they are teachable. Yeah, they to some are. extent. So the first thing I'm going to say is at the beginning, you said um, something like executive function guru, Seth Brewer. I don't know anything. Don't listen to me. Ignore everything I say, filter it and then do what you want to do anyway. So I want to start off by saying that I'm just like a, yeah. a guy who cares about this stuff. I see stuff that seems to work. But now having said that, I'm going to have some I- experience. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. My life is, I'm, I'm obsessed with figuring this stuff out, but I'm just, you know, some guy, there are many people, coaches, theorists, people who do things differently than I do, but I will give you a model that works. So 
but it's definitely not the end all be all do what you need to do for your kid. So having said that, um, what I talk about is basically that there are these sort of three things that we want to do. We want to give kids a foundation in executive function. We want them to, so there's the foundation first, and then there's what I call implementation. And then there's maintenance. So three things, first foundations, then implementation, then maintenance. All that means is we need to give them a foundation. Let's say it's a toolbox. We need to give them a foundation of, Hey, this is a hammer. This is a screwdriver. This is this, this is that. And then the implementation is, Hey, this is how you use the hammer. There are actually many, 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 many ways you can use this amazing tool. And this is how you use this tool and this tool. And we practice using them. That's implementation. So first, the foundation, giving them a foundation takes a couple months. Doing the implementation can take months to years, mm-hmm. as it took in my case. Well, and years. developmentally, they're growing. And so they're going to have different needs over years. Yep. And the prefrontal cortex, the front part of the brain where executive function happens, continues to develop until they're 25 or 30. It's the last part of the brain to develop. And we're freaking out at 12. Right. Is, yeah. You know, right. And they still um, got another 15 years. Yeah. But we do want to take action and, and guide them. And then um, maintenance is once they've learned to use the t- tools, they've implemented them for a while, then they're sort of in a sharpening the sword maintenance phase. And, the, the, you know, it's they've got it. They can make their before we started, you both mentioned Basecamp. I don't use Basecamp, but I happen to know that that is a tool for project management. And we are executing a project right now. Creating this piece of content is executing a project, right? So right. that's one of your tools that, and you got, I wouldn't know how to be in maintenance with Basecamp, but I'm in maintenance with project management where I have my own systems. So there's right. an example. Now with the foundations, parents then are going to be saying, okay, Seth, cool. So what are the foundations? What are the things that they need to learn? And I talk about three foundations, and this is how I lump them together. Systems, mindsets, habits, and routines. One is you have to have systems. So Basecamp would be a project management system, for example, or a to-do list or a calendar. Planning is there are many systems for planning. So we have systems that we need to be able to use. Mindsets. So the mindset that the students that I work with, the mindset that they default to with executive function is what I call the resistance mindset. And the resistance mindset says, I am going to resist executing on the thing I don't feel like doing, whether it's homework, whether it's organizing my backpack, cleaning my bedroom, putting stuff in the right folder, putting my name on my paper, clicking submit on the online portal, looking at my online grades, emailing my teacher, whatever the thing is they don't feel like executing on they are resistant to. I don't feel like it. This is stupid. Why do I have to do this? I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll procrastinate. I'll do it never. This doesn't make sense. When am I ever going to use this? Whatever the excuse is, it's resistance. So Mm -hmm. I like to keep it very simple. Okay. So the mindset that holds us back is resistance. And then the mindset that we want is sort of Carol Dweckie-ish, but it's sort of this like growth mindset, like, okay, I can do this. I may not like it, but I can handle this. I can figure out how to get this done. I can get it done now. I don't have to, you know, procrastinate or so we want to have a mindset that says, you know what? I noticed my resistance, but I'm going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. This is for my own life. This is for my own good. So we have to have systems mindsets. So there's sort of the resistance mindset and the, I can do this mindset. And then we get into habits and routines. Um, If you have a system and you have a good mindset, I'm going to use my plan, my systems, my planner. I'm going to use my planner, even though I don't feel like it. 
well, we have to have a habit and a routine around when to use that, how to use that. So there's all these habits and routines that we have to build. Now, this is a very simplistic covering of these three things. But it's a nice framework. Really nice. Thank you. Thanks. I obsessed about this for years. So So (laughs) So can I ask a quick question before you, as you hit it, where does motivation come in? Let's hold on. Let's back up and wrap wrap up. So we have the foundations, the implementation, the maintenance, and then in the foundations, we have systems, mindsets, habits, and routines. Mm -hmm. And then once we have the systems, mindsets, habits, and routines as a foundation, then we can implement them more and more and then get to maintenance phase. And that's, that's when a parent says, my kid's going to be okay. Right. Now that might not be until they're 38. (laughs) Look, I remember the tears. The first time my kid put something on a calendar, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. There's, there's hope. Right. Yeah. But it took years. Baby steps. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's coming up for me, Seth, is like taking us way back to the beginning when we're talking about buy-in and ownership, right? It's just sort of, you know, yeah, the formula is awesome, but there's this foundation before the foundation, it seems. Right. The relationship. So I can't, how is Seth going to get some kid to work with me? Because trust me, the kids are not seeking me out. It's the parents. Yeah, we, right? we know. And the parents say, oh, <laughs> we found this great coach for you. He this doesn't want help, Seth. but he needs it. Right. And they're right. going to be like, Seth, I, I don't want to talk to this idiot. Yeah, like, right. how am I going to get some angsty 17-year-old kid who does not want to do homework that's boring and blah, blah, blah? It's a, well, it starts with that relationship. I have to create a relationship where there's buying and ownership and they feel like it's for them and they feel heard. So yeah. that, that definitely, you know, I, I can't work with anybody unless I establish that. So if you look at my website, there's a, I have a course that I do. And on the course, there's a video for the kids that says, basically it's a buy-in video. And it's like, if you don't like, if you're looking at this idiot here and you don't like me, Tell your parents you don't want to work with me because it ain't going to do nothing for you. Right. So, so I want to bring you back to motivation because right. I love your framework. I love the construct. And again, a lot of alignment. And there's a piece about, I love the piece about mindset, the resistance. And there's something about helping kids understand what might be causing their resistance. It's not just that they're being obstinate, but there's they're resisting for a reason. It's effortful. They don't have the the traction. They've got a working memory issue that, you know, that's where the executive function comes in, right? So one piece I want to look at is like helping them understand the resistance. And then where does motivation come into this construct? So the interestingly, I don't hardly ever talk about motivation. Now there's a lot of this is just my frame on it, but there's a lot of great research about motivation and and about the brain and brain chemicals with motivation and things like that. But the reason I don't talk about it is because it's so misunderstood and I don't talk about it with my kids really ever. However, I am working with motivation. So I will answer your question in a concrete way. So essentially what we're looking to do is we're looking to try to motivate a kid to do something that they don't want to do. That's what we're trying to do. We're saying you have this want, and that is to have a good life. And you don't even know you have this one because you're a kid and sure, your yeah. brain isn't and even developed enough <laughs> to know that you're going to have consequences, positive and negative for your choices and actions now. But we see that because we are wise adults, but you don't even see that yet. So we want you to be motivated to do things that you don't want to do so that you can have the life you want to have. 
right? So that that's essentially what we're saying. And then we're saying, we know that you need to be motivated to plan, to organize, to do your homework, to put effort into your schoolwork, to learn things, to push yourself beyond where you think, you know, we know that if you can be motivated to do these things, you're going to open doors for yourself. So that's the whole thing here. What happens is, is that we end up having conversations with our kids that go something like this. Why can't you just motivate yourself? If you would just get motivated, if you would just be more disciplined, why are you so unmotivated? So these, and the the idea is, is that if we have this logical conversation or punishing conversation or rewarding conversation, what can I do? If I give you a hundred bucks for every A, well, that motive, blah, blah, blah. If we have these conversations, we think that that they are going to logically make right. sense to the child. We're going to convince changing, them. Right. right. Thus changing their execution patterns, right? Correct. It doesn't work that way. So how do I motivate kids? I don't, I don't worry about it, but what I do is, but I do, but I don't talk with them like that. What I do talk about is one thing is, is why it's important to plan or whatever the thing is, why, why it's important. Oftentimes we don't even talk about the, why it's important. Or if we do, we do it in a shaming way rather than like a, right. So talking about why it's important and and how it benefits them. So that's really important for them to understand that there are reasons for these things. Another thing is, is that these, it's not always just about motivation because these kids have never been taught these executive function things. Whereas kids with strong executive function naturally have been practicing these little micro skills for years and, but it's been, it's not been direct instruction or not much direct instruction, but we don't see how they have put a penny in the piggy bank over and over and over and over and over thousands of times since kindergarten. Whereas the, the, the other kid in fifth grade, there is nothing in the piggy bank of exec, executive function. It's gone in one ear and out the other ear. So it really hasn't they haven't been building skills. So there's a big deficit there. So it's really compassionately breaking down how to use a calendar. You know, we have a middle school and uh, with a thousand kids in every town here, and they buy a thousand planners, give them to the kids. And there's 10 pages in the beginning of the planner about how to use a planner. Who reads that? The right. Kids exactly. I don't the even, kids. I don't even think I read them, you know? Yeah. Well, you some kids been the kid that would, right? I would have been the kid that would have, right? <laughs> I would not. Yeah. But these kids definitely don't read it. And it's just like, we're going to give you this tool. It's, it really is. It's like, it's like, let's imagine you have a six-year-old and you you give them a super powerful tool with an instruction booklet. Like they don't know how to use it. Unless so, it's technology, but we're not going to go down that. Right. <laughs> well, they don't know how to use that either. They figure it out because they, they figure, figure it out because they're but interested it, because they're they and interested in motivating. It's motivating. Right. Right. And, the, and we're asking them to do something that's not motivating and that doesn't give them a dopamine rush. Or sometimes, like although I'll push back a little bit <clears> because sometimes our kids really struggle to do even when they want to do it. I mean, I've watched it with my own kids. It's like, I want to do this and I'm having a really hard to get time getting myself to do what I want. Well, that is, that is an executive function skill. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. So executive function, part of executive function is self-starting task commitment and, and follow through. So starting, continuing, activating, initiating is hard. Yeah. Yeah. So those are all part of executive function. So they run up against resistance and they don't have the emotional regulation skill, which is also executive function to say, I feel resistant, but I can keep going. So that's the, also the mindset I was talking about, Yeah. but it's also the nervous system. So 
you know, we feel uncomfortable and we want to stop the discomfort rather than having sort of the grit to be like, I can, I can do this because we've had enough experiences where it's so frustrating. And if we do ask our parents or somebody to help, they're not going to help us in the way that we really need. They're just going to be like, we'll try harder or something. And it's so anyhow, they don't know how to use the skill. So to quote, motivate them, we have to really teach them over and over and over how to use a plan or how to organize or whatever the thing is. And then in teaching them that we have to do what I call chunking, which is Mm -hmm. chunking it down into very small small bite-sized pieces. It's not just handing them that planner. That's often like, you know, it's like a hundred pages thick, right? What the heck are they? And then you have things that are not planners in there, like commonly misspelled words in the periodic table and uh, seven pages of instructions. (laughs) In the school handbook and like, you know, this kiddo, all they need is a stupid planner, like, and then to be taught how to use it over and over and over. So I don't motivate them. What I do is I walk through the actions over and over and over. So I might say, all right, let's get out your planner. Oh, I don't feel like it. Cool. You don't feel like it. Why not? So first I hear them. Well, blah, 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 blah. Cool. I understand. Let's do it anyway. Trust me, I promise, I swear I will make this painless. Why don't I get it out for you? Whatever the thing is, we get out the planner and I have to really read their nervous system. You know, if they're really resistant, I'll be like, look, let's do one thing in your planner, one page, one homework assignment, whatever. Like I have to chunk it down. Now, will I try to get them to do more? Of course I will, but they have to know that they're safe, that if they say, no, Seth, you said we were going to do one thing in the planner that, that I will say, cool, you're right. I'm done. Done today. Yeah, they have to know that. But sometimes we'll get 17 things done, you know, and then they'll finally be like, hey, I thought you said you're going to do one. And I'll be like, nope, I just manipulated you. Now, <laughs> I want you to <laughs> notice that because part of this game is you manipulating yourself, yourself. you tricking yeah, yourself. Yeah. I, manipulation sounds so bad, but you tricking yourself, tricking yourself into doing this. so much of it is I, w- I want them to connect the dot that what I just did you need to learn how to do if you want to have a life where you have possibilities and choices and a good future. I'm going to stop. So that's, that's what I do with motivation a lot is I just walk them through the process over and over very compassionately, empathetically, noticing their nervous system and being patient. Like I don't need them to, whereas parents are like, oh my gosh, if they don't get this done, they're going to have to retake the class and they're going to fail it. And it's like, we'll get there. Yeah. I hear they're quicker by slowing down. Yeah. Slow down to speed up. We, so I can't believe we are well over time. So we need to really wrap up this conversation because it was stimulating and fabulous and fascinating. Diane, let's talk about, let's just Seth, tell people how they can find you first. Well, I'm super excited about the summit, which you are on Elaine and is called TIFOS, the executive function online summit at executivefunctionsummit.com. I am currently getting ready for that. And that is August 20th of 2021. It is an amazing weekend. It's a free online summit for parents. Yep. So go there okay. so or you can go executivefunction.com is what I think. Executivefunctionsummit.com yep. or sethperler.com or YouTube. Look me up. Any of those. I was things. just going to say, if somebody's listening to this after the summit's over, can they still go to the website and get the recordings and all that other good stuff? Yep. You can, you can buy the summit if you want. It's free during the days that it's live. And then my website is filled with uh, sethperler.com is filled with free resources, free videos, all sorts um, of great stuff, all sorts of great stuff. So if you're a Um, parent or a teacher or a therapist or a coach or coach, remember we're coming from a coach approach. 
Steph, is there anything else we haven't talked about that you want to share with our listeners? Kind of a bottom line. Taken away from our conversation today. I mean, I think we really did cover it. I mean, it's, it's the do your own deep inner work. That's the number one. Work on the relationship, learn about attachment theory and polyvagal theory. And I, I think those are some of the main things. And then, you know, what we talked about with the systems, mindsets, habits, and routines. But, you know, I think the w- number one thing is the relationship. Build that relationship. And that starts with working on, on yourself and your stuff. And, and there are resources out there to help. Don't think building the relationship means that I got to figure it out. You don't have to figure it out. People figure it out for you. Go find them. Yeah, so, that is the bulk of what of what we do is exactly that. So thanks for that. That lob. Yeah. Um, wrap up. Do you have a favorite quote or motto or mantra or something that you want to share? So I was thinking about that. And I guess the thing that stood out to me about the favorite quote or mantra or whatever is, is just the word baby steps, mm-hmm. the word baby steps or the word micro successes. This yeah. is about taking small steps and patiently and persistently taking more and more and more, not thinking, oh, I've, I've been working with Diana and Elaine for a month and I'm not seeing any difference. This is, this is about the long game. This is about really diving deep, really whatever it is, getting your therapist. And then six months later being like, wow, my relationship with my child is different. When I reflect back, it's not like this is, we're here to do real work, real work. And that's where we see real change. Yeah. Baby steps. We, we baby call steps, it taking the marathon steps. view. Yep. So, yeah. You're in this for the long okay. haul. So yeah. baby steps leads to total transformation, but it happens in tiny little increments. Yep. Love that. Steph, thank you thank, so much for being so here. Much. Yeah. It's been um, great thank to talk you. to you. Thanks to those of you listening and we will catch you on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Hi, everybody. Once again, back to school in another year of we don't know what to expect, except we do, because we know our kids with complex issues are going to struggle with transitions and anxiety and avoidance, and that we're going to be dealing with life-work balance. So join us for our annual free webinar, School Success 2021, where we'll offer inspiration, positivity, and strategies specific to school this year. You can register at impactparents.com slash school 2020 Join us for mystery gifts and we'll see you soon. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.